Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Newly Meds. This is Heather, your host. And I'm Quinn. We're a week late. We we did a first take, but we had some technical issues and we wanted to polish it a little bit because yeah. what are we talking about this week? We're talking about mental health yeah. in healthcare, particularly, but like we're going to kind of dive deep into our mental health journeys through medical school and being a nurse and as well as some different approaches to treating anxiety, thinking about anxiety, yeah. and, you know, other mental health concerns. And I think, you know, obviously our perspectives are from medicine, but I feel like a lot of what we talk about will apply to other people because I, sure. being anxious and nervous about going into work isn't just in the medical field. Yeah. I think a lot of people work very stressful jobs sure. and you feel that anxiety before you start work or you're, you know, you're starting a new job and you're not really sure what you're doing. So hopefully it'll be applicable for all sorts of people. Yeah. But before we get started, we are going to do our highs and lows like we do every episode. So these are like the good and kind of not so great things that happened over the week. And Quinn, you're going to go first. Okay. Go My high for this week we took Jax, our dog, on a pack walk with his trainer and a bunch of other dogs that had been trained by the same trainer, and he did great. Yeah. Just and walking, chilling. was a mess in front of yeah, the Yeah, so that's my low. Is <sighs> uh, On the one hand, he was very well-behaved and did great, and then on the other hand, he's been less well-behaved. So yeah. those, those are my highs and lows are both around Jax. Jax is our two-year-old mini Australian shepherd and he had some dog leash reactivity issues so he would just bark and lunge at other dogs and kind of started to be really bad in our elevator and lobby of our apartment building. Um, so like getting out of the elevator in the lobby he would just bark at any dog he yeah. saw. Um, he's not aggressive like he wouldn't try to bite but he we just could not we'd have to like drag him away it's just like very defensive yeah territorial um so we're so working on it we've made like tremendous strides yeah. but the last piece of the puzzle like he jacks has no issues with other dogs away from our building yeah but around our building we are just having we're still t trying he's to just, polish things he's defensive so yeah. Yeah, we're working on it. It's a long-term process, but you know, we're only going to be here in New York City for six more months, God yeah. willing. Quinn gets into a residency program somewhere else, and hopefully that issue around our building will subside once we move somewhere else, because yeah. he literally doesn't have issues with dogs right. besides in our in building. building. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're dealing with with him. All we right. never know what we're going to get. <laughs> that's my high and low. Um, For me, my high, I guess I'll start with a high is I have been, this sounds like so silly, it really does. And it's kind of related to my low, I guess. Um, but I've wanted this matching Aritzia sweatsuit for like three years since we've moved here. And every year I've been, like once fall comes around and you get like cozy vibes and it's like 50 degrees and you just want to like wear a matching sweatsuit like to the airport or like taking jacks on a walk or like around the house on the weekends yeah. and i've always wanted to buy one but every year i've put it off because i'm like i'm not spending that money on a sweatsuit that's ridiculous it's like the ultimate cozy outfit. it's so cozy yeah. the fabric's amazing the quality is great um and this year i finally pulled the trigger and i got myself like a light heather gray one which i posted on my instagram story like a few days ago and i'm obsessed with it i want to wear it every single day and I'm like happy that 
I finally got that for myself because I've been wanting it for like literally like three years. And she's been wearing it ever since she got it. So <laughs> yeah, today I like had to, I had to wash day. it today. Yeah, yeah. Today's like the first day you haven't worn it. <laughs> all right, all right. Relax, relax. And then, <laughs> That's how you know it's good. Yeah. And then the counterpart to that is also has to do with spending money. I've spent too much money this week. Um, overshot my budget and had to reallocate some funds um, through You Need a Budget, which is the budgeting app I use, which I hate doing because I want that money to stay in the original category that I put it in. But with life, you have to be flexible. And I love that YNAB allows me to do that. Again, this is not a sponsorship. I'm like literally just obsessed with this software, budgeting software. So I had to remove, like move some of that money around. So my next paycheck, I'll have to cover some of that overspending and reallocate money into like the savings and all that stuff, which is fine. But it just kind of takes me away from that goal of getting away from living paycheck to paycheck. So it's fine, but we just have to roll with the yeah. roll with it. I, you know, bought some things that I could have waited to buy, but I didn't. And yeah, that's my low. <laughs> All right. So mental health. Yeah. Mental health. Um, Quinn, why don't you tell us about being a medical student and how that's been on your mental health? Yeah. It's kind of a broad question, but yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are curious. I feel like a lot of people that go to medical school have very similar struggles. It's very stressful. You're learning a lot in a short period of time. You don't have a lot of free time for a long time. Um, you're always studying. You're always trying to get good grades. Um, everyone in medical school is very type A, you know, high achieving. And the pace of med school, a lot of times you, you just like can't achieve at the level that you used to or you want to just because mm-hmm. you're so busy. Um, so people start to perform, you know, less than they expect to or want to. And they, you, you know, you doubt yourself. Am I really cut out for this? Am I good enough? What's going on? Like, is something wrong with me? Um Definitely a lot of imposter syndrome where you feel like I don't really deserve to be here. You know, I'm not really qualified to be in this mm-hmm. position. What do you think um, feeds into that imposter syndrome the most? I think um, probably because, you know, a lot of people around you are very impressive, very smart people. Mm-hmm. And we all put on a good front. Yeah. We all try to make it look like we know what we're doing and we're confident and this is no big deal. And I don't really know why we, we do that. It may be to trick ourselves or to impress other people or, you know, or fake it till you make it kind of mentality. But um, you see other people and they seem to have it all together. And then you know personally I don't have it all together. What's wrong with me? And that's like a big feeling. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I feel like because I've met a lot of your um, colleagues, the fellow medical students. Mm-hmm. Um, and from coming from a nurse's perspective... I feel like at least when I was in nursing school, it was very, I don't know, I I guess I have mixed feelings about it, but I felt like people were more willing to open up about their struggles Mm. and like how difficult things were. Whereas in medicine, I feel like, or at least from my experience with your, your fellow medical students, like they're a little bit more closed. Maybe it's just like the social aspect, like they're a little bit more closed off and don't really share as much about what's truly going on yeah. well i think when you start med school you're like i got this you know I, I i mean i remember during orientation they talked about mental health and imposter syndrome and i'm like 
that that's not going to be me. I'm I'm fine. Like yeah. I can handle it. It's no big deal. And you kind of hold on to that mindset as long as you can until eventually just the difficulty of school wears you down. And then you're like, oh man, I'm like having a tough time. Give me the give me the details here. What is it about medical school that makes it so tough, but like specifically tough on your mental health? Um, so you you kind of have to break medical school up into its parts, right? So mm-hmm. the first two years, some programs are like a, two years, some are a year and a half. You're only taking classes and studying and taking exams, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, when they get into med school, they're used to doing well on exams. But the pace yeah. of the exams and how much you have to know for each one, a lot of people don't do as well as they're used to. And you start to think, you know, what's wrong with me? Why am I not doing as well as I normally have done? You start to doubt yourself a little bit. And that's kind of like the little seed that that starts right there. And then you keep going and there's more and more tests and there's no break. And like, even when you do well on a test, it's like awesome, but I have another one in two weeks, you know, or I have another one tomorrow. Like there's just no rest to be, to enjoy like your success. You're kind of always pushing and that gets very tiring. So I think that starts to wear you down a little bit. Yeah. Do you think the financial aspect has anything to do with it? Yeah. I mean, it's really tough. You know, you're a med student and you don't have an income. You, you're on loans. For four years. So you're working really, really, really hard, but you you don't have like an income to show for it. You're, you're completely relying on loans I mean, and relying on other people. Obviously, that's true for any sort of full-time student. There are a lot of people that work, you know, work while they're in school, people that work while they're in nursing school, you know, um... For medical school, it is pretty hard, I think, because you are your studies require so much time. Yeah. But I'm sure people are out there that are, are working and going to medical school. I don't oh, yeah. doubt it. It's, it's hard. But um, unlike undergrad, you're at now at an age where you're, the rest of your cohort, the rest of your peers are now making money. So it's like right. an undergrad, nobody has a job, right? Or yeah. like, like well, you know, 19-year-olds, yeah. they're like, you know, just trying to get through college. But yeah. when you're in grad school, you're looking around and there are other people in business making right. hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars. And you're, you know, you're not there yet, but you're at the same age. You're twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, those ages. Yeah. Um so yeah. I think that's probably hard. You know? Well and, and to clarify too, like I'm not looking you know, I don't want to be rich. I'm not looking like, oh, I need tons and tons and tons of money like my friends in finance or whatever. It's more so about the fact that when you start working, you have a paycheck, you feel like you have agency. You mm-hmm. feel like you're independent. If you're with a partner, you know, and you're able to, to provide for them in any way, you feel like you're able to love them better. And I feel like as a student, you, you don't have that agency. And it, and it definitely affects your sense of adulthood and your sense of feeling like you have control. Um, and it's tough. Um, you know, and then you, you get into your rotations and you're working all the time and, you know, you're always changing. You know, you start off on medicine and then you go to neurology and then it's pediatrics or whatever order you do it in. You're starting over all the time. Like you learn, you, you do well, you study a mm-hmm. ton, you feel competent finally, and then you switch to the next yeah. thing and you have no clue what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's just like you don't, it, it's hard to get a foundation in medical school because yeah. things are moving so quickly. And for me, I just, I crave a foundation. You know, I crave a day job. I like consistency. Consistency. Yeah. 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 So that's what's most exciting or not most exciting, but one of the most exciting things for me about residency is this idea of like, I'll have agency. 
I get this foundation of this field that I love and I'm so interested in and I get to do it every day and build that confidence, you know, and come into work and be like, A, I love this and B, I'm learning more about this every day and I get to do that every day. I'm not going to be uprooted, you know, I'm not going to be switched to something else. Like You have to do an intern year, which is different. So like, I don't think that it's necessarily going to be all sunshine and roses. Like people say residency is really hard. But people say that your life is better in residency because you're finally able to do the job that you've been wanting to do. Yeah. Um, and I did like a quick rotation where it's called a sub I, a sub internship, where you basically act like an intern. And I loved it. You know, it was hard hours. You work a long time. But I got to do my I got to do my job. You know, I got to finally practice these things that I've been working towards. So Yeah. Yeah, that's so kind of been the experience. Going back to medical school anxiety plus yeah. financial anxiety. Yeah. It's one thing to be like worried about the test that you're taking or the the clerkship rotation that you're on or impressing the attending or answering the pimp questions or this is that what this is yeah no. questions <laughs> correctly it's another thing to also come home and be like am i going to be able to buy groceries this week yeah am i going to be able to pay rent this month because like we've had to that's especially in new york an additional pressure on you yeah apart from just school it's been like i can't even pay rent for next yeah, month yeah yeah and then a lot of it is you because know, you they can, don't they haven't like they haven't give do, given you enough money to cover that stuff yeah well i mean living costs in, in new york are really expensive and you know it, it's i mean it's just hard like everything's so expensive here yeah you know so yeah this city it's, it's definitely challenging in the city the cost of living is so much higher than where we went to undergrad in Gainesville, the University of Florida. Yeah. Um, it's just very, very different for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about social media in being in healthcare with mental health. Yeah. So people go on social media. I don't have you ever seen like I mean you've seen them, but for listeners out there, the day in the life like yeah. TikTok and Instagram. Oh, this is what my day looks like as a second year med student. And they're up at 5 a.m. and they get a three-hour workout in and then they do all their lectures in like a two-hour period of time. And then they <laughs> study the whole day and they're making all these healthy meals. And it's great that people are doing that. However, I think it's difficult because that's not everyone's experience. So when you see people post stuff like that and you're not experiencing that, you're like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. How come this person can handle this and like excel and right. I can't? Right. And um, I think uh, I think it's hard. It, it's you lose a lot of the realism. It's almost like they're presenting what an ideal world would look like. Yeah, in an ideal world, I wake up early and I get a workout in and I would study all day long and I would have time for friends. But a lot of times you don't get to do that. So I, I think. Social media is like a double-edged sword, you know? There's a lot of help you can get on social media, but there's a lot of, like, hurt and comparing yourself to others, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, from someone who is in the social media space, like, when I've done Day in the Lives, they haven't been average days. They've been like, okay, I think that this would be interesting for viewers to see this particular day in the life, but it's not, like, my average everyday routine. Right. Um. And honestly, I just don't do them anymore because one, I don't remember, and I'm two, I'm too busy. Like my, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. too busy to even take my phone out and record everything that I'm doing. I don't have time for that. Yeah. So, 
Um, like I just, I think particularly for me, mental health, when I was really struggling with the transition to moving from Florida and from nursing school to New York and starting my first job as a bedside nurse, um, in Manhattan, I didn't feel like I could a hundred percent be real with social media because it was like, I'm supposed to be this inspirational, like nurse influencer who's like always encouraging and always happy and like excited to be a nurse. And like, I'm very privileged because I was able to get a job here and I had a good education and I should be happy and excited. And, um, I, it was just really hard to be real because I feel like people wouldn't be able to understand like yeah. why I was suffering so much. Right. And it was hard to even communicate into words like what I was going through. Yeah. So that led to a very long period of isolation for me. Right. Um, and like, it's so crazy. Like I can go back through my Instagram feed. If you go back like about two years ago uh, to like my pictures when I was a bedside nurse, I can just, I remember how much I was struggling but you would never, you, yeah. you can never tell. Yeah. Like I remember the exact feelings and emotions I was feeling on those days. And I even tried to be I remember it kind too. of real in those pictures yeah. and those captions. Like I did say like I was struggling and everything, but like the weight and the heaviness of those, those times, like yeah. it is palpable to me to, to this day. Like I can pull up one of those old pictures and be like, Oh my God, like I was, I was dying on the inside. Yeah. Like I took this picture, but I was, I was dying on the inside at that time. And a question for you as someone who creates content, like when you look and you look for inspiration or the people that you follow on social media, do you like when people are real? Do you find yourself only wanting to see the good stuff? Like, why do you think we have this inclination to put our best foot forward? I think everyone just wants to see that aspirational lifestyle. Yeah. And I find myself, like, obviously the people that are being real, I really connect with and I like their stuff, but I enjoy the aesthetics of someone who seemingly has it all together, Yeah, that has the perfectly curated, decorated apartment and kitchen and their refrigerator is immaculate. Like, it's just aspirational. And like, that's what people want to see. It's like, I want to be there. They want to, they go on, people go on social media, including myself, to escape their life to escape what's around them to be like this is what i could be like this is what i want this is what i could have it's like going on pinterest you know like you don't go on pinterest to look at your own same stuff you want to see things that you don't have right you could you can work towards yeah try to achieve so i mean i feel like i'm not one of those creators that puts content out there like that and i think not having that type of lifestyle in my own opinion where it's like the kitchen is all white and immaculate and there's nothing on the countertop and i have every type of different have you seen the ice cube shape videos like people who have like 20 different ice cube shapes i I, they they, they make like i follow like three people that they do that and they post videos what do you mean they just like want like circles an and they have heart shaped ones. Oh, they like to have ridiculous. different molds and like butterflies. And like, I'll sit there for five minutes watching them crack these damn ice cubes. I don't into have their, time for that. And I'm like, I just, I don't know. It's just so interesting yeah. to me. It's like, where's the bowl of sweet potatoes on the counter? Yeah. That's what I want to see. <laughs> that's what I have. Where's the bowl of sweet potatoes? Where's the lip balm that's sitting on but the counter? It's like an, intr- it's really hard for me because as a creator like i i wish i could put out content like that even though i know people want the real stuff yeah but then at the same time 
I'm conflicted and I don't want to post the real stuff because I feel like it's not curated enough for people to see it and like it and engage with it. So it's, it's a very, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. And like, I I honestly don't post on Instagram that much anymore. Um, because of time. Um, yeah, but because I feel like I just don't have the energy to like curate what people want to see. Yeah. And then I feel like people aren't going to be interested in seeing anyway. So why bother? Why take the time if it's not perfect? And so perfection has been such a challenge for me because I know that if I post it consistently, then I would get like such a, like I would get a lot of followers because if you do anything consistently, like people want to follow, Right. but I just don't do anything like that consistently anymore. Just, I don't know. Lots of change. Lots of changed in my life though with like my goals in terms of social media so it's it's challenging it's a weird it's a weird space to be in i've kind of fallen out of love with instagram yeah and like even now with tiktok i've been posting a lot less um i think going into continuing this conversation about mental health as a social media creator um the negative comments and the feedback that you can get is sometimes pretty heavy and so that also keeps me from posting things i'm like you oh, open well, yourself yeah. up to that. What are people going to say about X, Y, and Z? Because I'm not perfect. Yeah. And to be honest, that's why I I, I, I would never do social media. I can't handle it if people are mean yeah. to me because they, they find that like one little thing and you're like, man, how'd you know that was my insecurity? You know? So. Yeah, no, it's challenging. I mean, I've talked about this earlier this week. I think I reposted something about people are so, especially in the wellness space, people are so hyper fixated on these extreme niche details and we forget the basics about like a lot of like most people are, you know, like over consuming alcohol and like cigarettes mm. and like fast food. And we're like focused on like getting the perfect like probiotic strain that like, you know, it's like, yeah. like why are we sometimes we just are so hyper focused on these super niche details when it's like we just really need to get the basics down mm. And beyond that, I'm very critiqued because I don't live 100% quote unquote clean lifestyle. Like I'm very much balanced. I'm very much like doing what works for me in sustainable, you know, like right now I'm wearing an aluminum like deodorant. Like I'm, I'm wearing an antiperspirant right now. Like, and people will like come for me for that because I am in the wellness space and that's like the seventh sin. But it's like, you know what? I'm going to do what I have to do for that. Right, like I, right. you know, have mostly glass in my kitchen. I have a little bit of plastic in my kitchen. Like sue me. I don't know. It's like people are just will like come for me about those things. And I think that's like an overarching theme of mental health in <clears throat> medicine, especially is that like people expect perfection from others online. And then we also like expect perfection from ourselves. So when we don't match up to our expectations, it can be really hard yeah, on people ourselves. People are just like, I don't know. Like I, like, are you perfect? Like, yeah, no, like I, people are so quick to point out what other people are doing wrong. Like, let's just focus on our, on our own business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, again, with the clean stuff, like most of my cosmetics and products are clean. I have a few products that I love and I absolutely won't let go of. And it's like, that's fine. Like, I am, oh, like, I'm, I'm healthy, thank yeah. God. And yeah. like, if my health were to a point where I was having like, you know, like strange symptoms or like mast cell activation syndrome, which is a lot of thing that 
patients in the integrative medicine a field like come with as a, as a complaint like that's what they're going through then I would take out literally every environmental toxin that could potentially be triggering mm. and I'll get rid of it but I'm pretty healthy right now like yeah. I'm pretty satisfied so it's all with about my balance it's so it's like balance. I don't feel the need to do that yeah and um everyone should know their own risk their own genetic history and all that stuff and do with that knowledge what they feel is appropriate but for me I am okay with having you know the things in my lifestyle that I have. Mm-hmm. So, all right, that's enough about social media. <laughs> Let's talk. I have some questions from social from Instagram that yep. people wrote in about you in medical school dealing with mental health. Mm-hmm. So, number one, would it be weird to ask med schools in interviews how they support mental health? Yeah, I, this is an interesting question. Um, I'm going to give you like kind of like the world answer and I'm going to give you my answer. Um, I think it's possible that some medical schools still don't view mental health properly. I think some schools might see mental health as, you know, um, if you have mental health issues, how do we know you're going to be a good student or how we know that's going to affect your schooling? I think some programs might feel that way. In my opinion, though, I would say, no, it's not weird to ask med schools how they support mental health. Not in 2022. I think you should ask that. And if a school looks at you weird for asking that or looks down on you for asking that, you don't want to be at that school school anyway. Exactly. (laughs) A lot of good programs are taking mental health seriously because a lot of people in our generation are pushing for it, really pushing for it. So I would say, yes, ask about how they support mental health. A lot of programs will have a great answer. And if they don't like you for it, you don't want to go there anyway. Yeah. You know what? I think it's crazy how it's 2022 and we're recording this and we are on the other side. You know, we're still obviously COVID is still a thing. Uh, we've been through a pandemic by now. Uh, it still lingers among us. But the respect and the seriousness of mental health, I think, has been so amplified through this pandemic. I went to nursing school. I graduated in 2019. So I was in nursing school in 2017, 2018, um, or 2018, 2019. And as a nurse, going through nursing school, there was basically very little resources about mental health. Yeah. Unless you were literally dying in the hospital, you were expected to be at lecture. Lecture attendance was taken for credit. Yeah, they were really harsh. They were about really that. harsh. That was kind of um, crazy. What else happened? If you weren't dead, you would be at clinical. Yeah. I don't care what happened. I don't care Sick, what was going on in your you family. Just got in an accident. If you said I needed a mental health day, they would have laughed in your face. Yeah. And would have suspended you. Yeah. As a nurse trying to care for other people, that was the attitude going through nursing school. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I hope that by 2022, knowing that we've we've gone through through the pandemic as mental health, um, you know, caretakers, that we have a little bit more respect for people that need to take, you know, pr- like certain mental health precautions or boundaries, or yeah. they need time off for it, etc. Yeah, I mean. I think that I hope that there's been a change in that because I just remember I remember in nursing school one time one of my friends from high school passed away tragically in a car accident and I was going to go home for his funeral and it the funeral fell on the same day as an, an exam 
And their solution was to have me take the exam a week early. Yeah. Or I would miss the exam. Which in nursing school is like a week less to study for an exam. That's huge. Huge. That's huge. So they wouldn't let me take it later. They they wanted me to take it a week early so I could go home for a funeral. And it was just like zero understanding. Like it was like that we were just robots and we didn't have lives and struggles of our own. But we were just like tools in the system to like take care of other people yeah. and profit off of and not have yourselves be taken care and this of. is like an amazing i don't know like it's just crazy to think that 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 was an experience that i had yeah. and um i think in just those few years like we've progressed so far yeah i mean i hope so yeah and for my personal experience as a nurse i basically left my first bedside job because my mental health was at an all-time low yeah. working night shift not able to go home and see my family in Florida. My first winter in New York, or actually, no, it was my second, coming up to my second winter yeah. in New York, yeah. having PTSD for the previous winter, knowing I could not go through it right. again right. and make it out alive was like kind of where my headspace was at. Mm. Like having panic attacks on my days off, not being able to sleep, not having any help because I was sleeping through the day. So, even if I wanted to go to a doctor's appointment or reach out to a mental health professional, I felt like I couldn't because I was sleeping during the day. Right. Or I was in a mood where I couldn't get off the couch. Yeah. Like I remember just waking just so up, exhausted. getting out of bed and going straight to the couch and just laying on the couch. Yeah. And like you had to just take care of me the entire yeah. time. Yeah. And then staying all night, up all night on my, my days off by myself. By yourself. Just yeah. like in the dark in the living room. Is, just like thinking of like what ifs and pre-shift anxiety and everything. Yeah, getting in your own head. So I would have tried to take a mental health leave of absence in that scenario, which is what I would recommend to other people if they're going through that. Um, I know there's some stipulations around having to work at your facility for a year for that benefit, but I would reach out to your HR personnel, your nurse manager about what you, how they can work with you to support your mental health because they would so much rather keep someone on staff than have to like let go of someone and hire someone else like these hospitals and businesses they want to retain their staff yeah they want to it is the most cost effective thing for them so it is best for you to kind of leverage that and be like give me these two weeks off or you know like to retain me yeah and i think this kind of leads into this next question here Do you think there's a place in medicine for people with pre-existing anxiety and depression? Mm-hmm. I think there are people already, I don't know, I don't think, I know there are people already in medicine with pre-existing anxiety and depression. There I mean, are people, how many anxious overachievers do you know just like my, in medicine? My whole <laughs> class, like we're all anxious overachievers, right? Like mental health is common. It is common. People go through it. You can be a successful person and still struggle with mental health. You can. There was like this prevailing theory or this belief that everyone had that if you had anxiety, you couldn't function and you couldn't hold a job and you couldn't do anything. So best not to either hire the person who talks about their mental health. And if you have mental health issues, just don't talk about it because no one's going to want to hire you or, or let you do anything. And I feel like that's changing. Because we're being more real about it and we're recognizing that there are ways, you know, there's therapy and there's, you know, psychiatrists out there who can help people in different ways. And we're learning that 
you know, it, it, you can manage it. So as someone yeah. who, you know, deals with anxiety and having friends and, and classmates and colleagues that struggle with anxiety and depression, absolutely. There's a place in medicine yeah. for people with pre-existing anxiety, depression, and there are resources out there um, for people. And, and this kind of leads into the next question. Do med schools offer therapy for students? And the answer yeah. is, Yeah. A lot of programs do. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to question one, asking how schools, you know, treat mental health. If they don't have therapy available for you, it's probably good good to consider not going there because I think it's extremely important to offer mental health resources for students. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a little simplified. I think a lot of people only get into one medical school, so it's not yeah, as easy true. to say, oh, that's just true. don't go there. Um, but I would say... What would what would you say in terms of how to get connected with mental health resources? Yeah, in um, a lot of schools have um, like a student health department. Mm-hmm. So my school specifically has like a student health department. I remember struggling during my rotations and sending them an email and saying, you know, I would love to set up therapy and talk to somebody, and they connected me. Yeah. Um, and they offered free therapy for like a certain number of sessions through uh, my school. And it was surprisingly easy. I held off for a long time because I thought, oh, I don't want to go through this whole process. This is going to be such a pain. But at least my program in particular made it very yeah. easy. What was this? What was the turning point for you when you decided you need to talk to someone about your anxiety? I think when it started to affect my relationship with you, I think when I was on edge and frustrated and stressed 24-7. This happened like around step one or step two? It, it, it? it happened in two different parts. There was, I started therapy early. Um, I believe it was like halfway through my rotations or something like that, where I was just so overwhelmed with, I think I got like a, a bad grade on something and it just like rocked my world because I thought I was trying so hard and I was so exhausted and I was so stressed and I yeah. didn't do well on something I wanted to and it just like, I just blew up. And I realized like, whoa, I can't handle this by myself. And I don't know why I'm trying to. Um, and I, I reached out and, and I opened up about it actually in front of my classmates. And a lot of my friends came up to me and said, you know, hey, I'm going through this too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started therapy, but then I got busy and we had rotations and I was like, oh, I'll pick this up again later. And then when step one, step two came around, I took them in a row. I took yeah. study for step one, took it, started immediately studying for step two, took that. And that just destroyed me. I mean, it was so much stress. Like, I just did not stop studying for, like, months on end. And um, I just realized, like, I was always on edge. I was always upset. Like, you you would tell me, like, I'm, I'm, like, tense all the time. Like, you know, I'm, like, grinding my teeth at night. Like, I just realized that I didn't like how it was how my school and my studying and my stress was affecting me. Yeah. And um, it was affecting my ability to focus. It was affecting my, affecting my ability to, to, to love you and care for you properly because I was always so stressed. So, Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I noticed was that you had a lot of like slippery slope thinking. Yeah. And it was like, oh, well, if I don't get this grade, then I'm going to fail and I'm going to get kicked out of medical school and then we're going to be homeless and we're going to break up yeah. and we're not going to have any options and my life is going to be over. It was like zero to 100 so quick and there was nothing that I could say to like calm you down. Yeah. There was no rationalizing it. It was not based in logic. It was like pure fear and yeah. anxiety of like, 
if this doesn't work out, it's all over for me. Right. I put like world so ending pressure. pressure on myself yeah. because again, a lot of people are going to relate to this. A lot of medical school feels world ending. It yeah. does. Step one, step two, you got to take it and you got to do well. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure. And They've recognized that. That's why they made step one pass fail because yeah. people felt so much pressure over it. Yeah. And it's kind of kicked the can down the road to step two because now step two is the one people care about. But you just, you feel like I got to do this right on the yeah. first try. And if I don't, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Can you share that um, tip that you learned in therapy to deal with like acute episodes of anxiety? Like, yeah. Share that real quick because I think that's helpful. So there's two things. Again, so I'm not a medical professional. I'm in medical school, but I'm not a licensed psychiatrist. Um, these are just kind of recommendations that I've learned from other people or online. Um, there's a, a way to kind of ground yourself. And I forget if I have the wrong numbers here, but you think about like two things you can see, two things you can hear, two things you can feel, two things you can taste. Okay. So like you're sitting down and, you know, here I would be like, okay, I can feel the sweat um, beating down on my forehead because we turn the AC off, um, and I can feel the, the the smooth table, you know, underneath my arms. Um, I can hear my own voice in the headphones, and I can hear, you know, uh, the wind outside the window. And and as you do that, and you move through all your senses, you start to focus more so on the present and where you are right now, mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of the stress and anxiety off of the future. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a really good technique. It's getting present getting back to the and breath. It's like grounding yourself. Right. And a lot of people have been using, I've seen it on TikTok. Don't, I, I looked it up a little bit and it seems like there's some, um, some research out there. A lot of people use cold water, either taking a cold shower or dunking their face in ice you water know what? That's interesting to calm you say themselves that? down. Because it actually, cold water submersion actually affects the vagus nerve. Mm. And that's why I'm sure it has the parasympathetic effects yeah. on on the like anxiety portion because that's why people do like hot and cold therapy yeah because uh, it it affects the the vagus nerve right so that's really interesting that that you picked that up yeah because so, i'm going to share so some are... like holistic tips yeah. so that's a good one so and then there's like breathing techniques right so it's like you you breathe in for three you hold the seven and then excel I think an eight. It's like least. breathe in through your nose and then out through your mouth. Yeah. That's like, like the pattern. slowly. It's yeah. like you breathe in for three seconds, you hold for like four or something, and then yeah. you breathe out for eight. So yeah. it just gets you to start like calming down. Yeah. And getting Because a present. lot of it is like physical. I think we think of mental health as like, oh, it's only mental. It's only what's going on in my head. But oh, you, no, people no, get no. a lot of physical it's symptoms. And biochemical, psychological. Yeah. There's physical. feedback between what's going on in your head and your body. And if you can calm your body down, a, long a lot of times it calms down what, what's going on in your mind. And if you calm your mind down, it'll calm down your body. So a lot of these techniques are kind of like, you know, intertwined. So now let's move on to questions for, for you. Um Yay. Uh, so some people sent us in some questions for Heather. This is a big one. We've talked about this and we went through this. I saw you go through this. Yeah. Did you experience pre-shift anxiety? And if you did, how did you deal with mm -hmm. it or learn to deal with it? Yeah. So, um, pre-shift anxiety is basically anxiety, feelings of fear, anxiety, depression that you get the day of your shift or the, actually probably the day before you would go in for a shift. Um, I feel like this is probably most common with new grads. So nurses that are just starting 
their first job or a new job um, in like the first six to 12 months of that job, uh, a lot of pre-shift anxiety. I really suffered with this and I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an anxious person. I wouldn't, I don't have like necessarily a history with, with anxiety. So it was really interesting for me to feel these feelings and then be like, oh, that's anxiety. Yeah. Like to like to label it. You know, it's kind of weird. It's hard to to identify sometimes, isn't it? Because you're like, oh, I'm just feeling stressed and fearful. And like, you know, my heart is a little bit like racy and I don't, I'm jittery and I don't know what to do with myself. Like, that's just like, you know, how I'm feeling. But like to, to label it as anxiety, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what it feels like. Right. And, um, I definitely had some really like hard times with pre-shift anxiety. Um, I remember, especially with night shift, it was just the hardest thing would be waking up and then you were winding down from the day and like making dinner and my day was just starting. Right. And it was like, oh no, like it's going to be dark soon. And like, just like the feelings of isolation and loneliness that come with night shift, those were hitting me so hard at the same time Yeah. as the fear of like working in med surge and working now in a COVID unit and not knowing what to expect. Like, was somebody going to die on my shift? Right, like, right. Was I going to have to do postmortem care? Was I going to have to call a rapid? Was I going to have to have a patient where I just couldn't handle by myself? Right. Um, was there a situation that was going to come up as a new grad where I've never had to use that piece of medical equipment before? I think everyone, every nurse remembers or bedside nurse remembers their first time having a patient with a chest tube and the fear and anxiety around dealing with chest tubes. Um, and just like different medical equipment, uh, and the fear of being, like being by yourself and not having coworkers help you or, having coworkers shame you for not knowing what you're doing or, or being like having imposter syndrome and being afraid of kind of faking it till you make it. And right. like trying to be confident for your patient's sake, right. but also have their safety in mind. Yeah. And, but also struggling with feelings like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, am I even qualified to be here? I think as your, you know, then boyfriend, now husband, watching this from the outside I think it really hit me how hard it was for you when you would have your days off and all you could think about was work coming. Yeah, like going back you to work. never could take a break. It was like when you were off work, you're like, I, I got to go to work tomorrow or I only have two days before I have to work again. I'm like yeah. the day before you would work. That's all you could think about yeah. all day. It was and like soul sucking. And it I couldn't like robbed even you of enjoy- your joy. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And I think I dealt with that a little bit more because we were in a new city and we didn't have friends. So our days off looked very different. And I, f- oh my God, I was also studying for the MCAT. And it and was applying, COVID. And studying for the MCAT and applying to medical school. Yeah. So on my days off, I was studying. Right. Like very hard material. If I could go back, I wouldn't have done any of that. I would have just focused on surviving work. But um, everything happens for a reason. Uh and so pre-shift anxiety for me, how I dealt with it was not very well when I was going through it. That's the answer. Yeah. I would say on the other side of it, knowing what I know now, working in integrative medicine where, where we see the mind-body connection is huge and um, like respect health from a holistic standpoint, I would do a lot of meditating and positive affirmations 
I think rewiring the way that you think about your situation is huge. I would have listened to uh, the book Loving What Is by Byron Katie and The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle because those are books that help you accept situations as they are and live in the present. When you're a nurse, you're always worried about all these different situations that can be going on and your mind is in 20 different places at once. To be in this moment is kind of a tool that you can use to beat those fears and anxieties. Um, And it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird way to look at making mistakes as a new grad because that's a huge part of being anxious as a new grad is that you're fearful that you're going to make mistakes. Right. But I think through this spiritual work that I've done, you know, I have to, I have to like carefully layer this, but I, I don't, you know, there is a standard of care in nursing. Mistakes are not good. They jeopardize patients' lives and safety. We do not want to make mistakes, but the reality of the situation is that we are human and we do make mistakes. And I've never met a nurse that hasn't made a mistake before. And mistakes as a new nurse crushed me. Like having to write up the report, having to talk to my manager, having to go through a review of what went wrong. The feeling of shame that I got from those experiences was just so heavy and it really just ruined my the rest of my shift or it, yeah. would, it would be on my mind because I'm such a perfectionist. And the thought of making a mistake is one thing. The thought of making a mistake that jeopardizes someone else's safety or health that you're supposed to be taken care of is another thing entirely. Yeah. And so through these books that I just mentioned, I really learned the power of accepting mistakes for as for what they are um, and not even like labeling them as mistakes. Like sometimes I'm just like I accept what happened and it doesn't affect me the way that it used to anymore. Just hard, it's a hard concept to wrap your head around. You'll have to read the book to really understand what I'm talking about, and you will when you when you read and understand the books and the, the principles. But um, that sort of presence and kind of dismantling the ego because the ego is so fearful of rejection and shame that uh, you really start to accept things that you've done that maybe haven't lined up with the standard of care. Um, EFT, emotional freedom technique, is something I actually learned through integrative medicine. It is a way of tapping on pressure points throughout the body uh, and rewiring certain thoughts. So um, you can say like, you say something like, even though I'm anxious about going into this shift, I completely love and accept myself. So you would say, even though blank, and then... I completely love and accept myself. Mm -hmm. And then you tap like physically with your hands on different acupressure points and different meridians to almost like be similar to like acupuncture um, to open those meridians up. You reprogram the way that the brain thinks about those situations and you love and accept them. And it just takes the weight off and it really works for me. They've actually done studies with veterans with PTSD mm. and it's actually been like clinically useful for them. Yeah. So that's an interesting technique. I'm going to leave more in the show notes about it if you're interested in looking that up. But that's a practical tool that you can use in the moment of feeling anxiety on your commute to work of like tapping and going through those different phrases of like, even though I have anxiety about my shift, I completely love and accept myself. Even though this patient drives me absolutely nuts, I completely love and accept myself. Even though I'm worried that 
that doctor is going to be on that really doesn't like me. I completely love and accept myself. Like I just, when I say those things, I just feel this overwhelming sense of peace. So that is a real practical tool you can use. Another thing I would love, you know, having a nurse, a senior nurse on your floor or unit that you respect and that you can talk to and that is open and non-judgmental towards your feelings and your anxiety is really going to help you to have someone to reach out to. Definitely find that person. I know it's not always easy, but there are really great nurses out there that can help you. Even on a different unit, somewhere in your hospital, have someone in your residency program connect you with someone else, your nurse manager, connect you with a mentor. There are people out there that have gone through it and have seen the other side and can help you through it. So look out for those people. Oh, I'm long-winded. And then the last thing is that there are supplements that can help. Um, There are a few supplements. GABA and also L-theanine can help calm the central nervous system down. Also magnesium as a supplement. Um, And then I think this will lead me into some integrative approaches to anxiety. anxiety. Because obviously in medicine, we know there's medication right yeah there's pharma there's pharmaceuticals that can help treat anxiety yeah from an integrative approach where we try to look at the whole body it's a little bit different and so um there and and a caveat just because i'm i'm in medical school a lot of those medications have helped people greatly a lot of those medications have really done wonders for people yeah some people take medications and they don't do well with it or it makes things worse or they just have a really negative experience with it so these are some great, not necessarily alternative, but other ways of, you know, dealing with anxiety, anxiety beyond just yeah. what we think of because, typically, which is know, like medication. Pharma- like medication is great. It's going to treat your anxiety. It's not going to fix the root cause of your anxiety. Right, right. Um, but it's critical. And that's why I love integrative medicine is because it combines, you know, a holistic approach with also the the value of medications mm. because both of them can be used in tandem it's not one or the other right um but for people that are looking like hey i have anxiety i kind of want to figure out what's going on beneath the surface like why am i feeling this way there are there are things that we can talk about you know it's not just oh you have anxiety you're gonna just take this medication because that doesn't have to be the way that it is um so things that we're talking about with anxiety and i'm to clarify, I'm not, you know, a licensed practitioner. I'm a registered nurse. These are just things that I've heard about through my research and through the practice. Um, but, you know, if you're interested in looking into the stuff yourself, there's a bunch of research online. And also you can find an integrative medicine practitioner near you just by Googling, looking it up. But here's some things um, that may be causing anxiety. HPA access dysregulation. So chronic stress we know can cause hormones like DHEA, cortisol, and pregnenolone to be kind of wonky, so to speak, which in turn can affect other hormones and neurotransmitters. Chronic stress can make people be in a fight or flight response all the time, and that can trigger anxiety, feelings of anxiety through a physiological mechanism. Um, ways to deal with this are to regulate your blood sugar, keep your blood sugar stable. If you get dips or really high blood sugar, you might be feeling these these feelings of anxiety or depression, um, and it might be like really triggering for you. So stable blood sugar is one thing. Light exposure in the morning is 
really great for helping to regulate your circadian rhythm. It helps actually decrease melatonin production in the morning by light exposure in the eyes, but also helps the melatonin production later in the day. Um, Get restorative sleep. Sleep is huge. It's huge for managing your cortisol and your hormones and neurotransmitters. It's it's everything, right? And um, yeah, so if you're that's that stuff about HPA dysregulation. Uh, gut stuff. There's a lot of connections between gut health and anxiety. I think the biggest thing I learned about this is actually when I worked in endoscopy, because a lot of patients that were coming in with GI issues were incredibly anxious. Yeah. And, so and, and even from a medicine standpoint, I did a piece during my ambulatory care rotation where I looked at a lot of the research that's been done between inflammatory bowel disease, or actually I think it was um, irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety. And there's a very clear link between the gut microbiome and irritable bowel syndrome and anxiety. Yeah, so. Yeah, so dysbiosis, which means a imbalance in bacteria in your gut, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, parasites, gut inflammation in general, uh, can all cause issues with the gut-brain access, and actually serotonin is produced in the gut. So when you have all those issues and you're not producing serotonin properly or utilizing it properly, you know that can really lead to having feelings of anxiety and depression. And there's, I'm gonna put some resources. Obviously, I'm not an expert in this. This is just stuff that I understand the tip of the iceberg about. But I'm gonna put resources in the comments of books you can read, research people that are leading in this field about these things. And then also nutrient deficiency, things that we know are important for the brain, B12, folate, zinc, copper, EPA, and DHEA, uh, which are uh, fatty acids, vitamin D, choline, B6, riboflavin. These are all vitamins and minerals that can be deficient in the standard American diet through our poor soil quality through not eating enough high-quality sources of protein. We know most of these vitamins come from actually um, animal sources of protein. A lot of vegetarian and vegan diets um, are not sufficient in providing these nutrients. So that can be an issue. Also in the winter, we get seasonal depression because vitamin D levels drop significantly due to access to the sun. So getting your face in the sun 10 minutes a day if it's overcast, actually, Andrew Huberman talked about it being overcast and how there's still sunlight exposure. You just need to spend more time out, actually mm. outside. Mm. So it's diffuse, but you're still getting photons. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, but check, get your vitamin D levels checked, man. Take that supplement. But vitamin D is something we want to keep in a very close range. So it's good to be monitored with blood work when you're taking a vitamin D supplement, especially during the winter if you live in the, the northern aspects of the country. Um and therapy my goodness i i mean we can't we can't say therapy enough like there are i completely agree that there are emotions and experiences that we have even in our childhood that can get like like trapped in the body so to speak like and can manifest in certain ways that we never coped with like trauma that we never coped with within the subconscious like i just that makes a lot of sense to me yeah so and even what we talked about before where like you were feeling these symptoms of anxiety but you didn't know like what was going on right like you didn't like you didn't know to label it oh this is anxiety so speaking with a therapist a lot of times they can help you 
identify what you're feeling, identify techniques to deal with what you're feeling, talk about you know where the root cause is. If yeah. you need to seek you know help from a psychiatrist or something extra, they can give you those resources and lead you there. It's just a good place to be. Yeah. It's good you know good place to start. Yeah. I think a good place for us to finish this is to give like one piece of advice if we had for somebody really struggling with mental health. Like what would you, what would the one piece of advice be? Um, and don't take mine. Okay. Well, I'm going to start. So okay. I don't know what yours is. <laughs> what I would go back and tell myself is um, you're not alone. Like if you're out there and you think, you know, I'm the only person going through this, you're not alone. There are plenty of people struggling with it probably people closer to you than you think are going through it. You're not alone. And I would tell myself to work on it sooner. Yeah. Talk to a therapist yes. sooner. Identify it sooner. I hate that I waited so long. I'm in such a better place now. Yeah. I I think me, I needed something drastic to really open my eyes to the fact that I was struggling because I tried to handle everything myself. But yeah. I wish I had just dealt with it sooner. I, I remember talking to one of my therapists or, or my therapist and, and she said, why did you wait so long to talk to someone about this? And I don't, I have no answer for it. I don't yeah. know why I waited so long yeah. and I wish I would have talked to someone sooner. Yeah. I mean, when I think about my lowest point before quitting my bedside job, um, I think exactly that thought. It's like I was at such a dire and acute need for help that it was too late. It was too late for me to stay at my job in a sustainable way because I wasn't speaking to a therapist. I didn't have a support system. I didn't, you know, wasn't able to get onto to day shift and see if that would have helped instead of just working nights and struggling through nights. I kind of just like folded my cards instead of doing the work to try to dig myself out um, because I was in that, I was like, having a heart attack <laughs> it was like having a heart attack versus oh my lipids are high right you know what i mean it's the right. prevention yeah so it was like but a when i was working nights i was i just i didn't put in the work yeah. i didn't put in the i didn't have the i didn't have the energy like yeah. I, I was so you know unfortunate and i look back and i say i should have i could have done this x y and z but truly i could not i had yeah. no energy i had no energy to look up you know how to fix it in yeah. different ways like it's hard once you're in the medications of that i could have taken to sleep better yeah. other than benadryl which ended up making me more depressed if you're listening to this don't take benadryl for sleep do not do it it affects your serotonin levels it can make you depressed it fucks up your gut it's not good for you mm. for sleep purposes um, but a lot of people misuse it so that's why i'm saying that um, I would have gotten to therapy more. I would have begged my nurse manager to put me on night shift, uh, to put me on day shift, um, and been like, look, this is dire. Like I need to be on days because nights is killing me. Um, I would have looked up, you know, nurse communities, people to talk with and bond with. And I really just suffered in silence. So like, I just like, if you're starting to feel these feelings, get help now. Like, don't wait, don't wait until it's dire. Yeah. I think that's both of our overarching themes. And you're not alone. Yeah. Don't feel shame for don't feel shame for feeling the way that you are struggling yeah. because we're all struggling with something different. And that's it. And that's it. So that's all the good stuff. That's maybe all we know. maybe next week we can like this was like kind of kind of serious and brooding. Maybe next week we can talk about something like yeah we got to do something fun happy. and lighter <laughs> and light. yeah yeah something light. 
Yeah. Okay, guys. So if you have been enjoying the podcast, leave us a review. Um, please, you know, follow us, subscribe to us so that you can be notified whenever we release podcasts. We are recording this on a Sunday. We'll try to release podcasts every Monday or Tuesday. And if you have any questions or feedback, please shoot us an email at newlymedsthepod at gmail.com. And we would love to incorporate those into our following episodes. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.